0: be thankful for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God for the Lord. He is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke in galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke in beast of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence who could form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for.
1: Thanksgiving. We got a lot to be thankful for, don't we, church? And uh, do me a favor, get your Bible. I'll turn with you to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at 5 verses, 15 to 20 this morning, and I'm going to dive right in, okay? So uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I find from time to time that I can waste time on this. Anybody do that? Waste a little time on this? Be honest about it, right? So I'm not really much of a game player, um, or video, never have really been, but I think on the latest update on my phone, it downloaded some games. And I came across this one called Blocks. And uh, if you don't know what Blocks is, it's like Old Man's Tetris, okay? So it's just kind of slowed down. And the game did uh, something terrible to me. Uh, I played the first time and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then I played the second time and I got my all time high score. Uh, you don't want to do that early on in a game because if you're competitive, like, I mean, every time, every day, you're like, I got to open that thing up, man. I got to beat my high score. And I found myself, in less than a week, putting way too much time in a stupid game called Blocks. Anybody else done something like that, right? And, uh, and so now some of you are like, what's the game Blocks? I'll download it, right? I'm just encouraging you. It's like video crack. Okay, don't do it. Uh, so... Um, yeah, just be, you know, we, and today we're going to talk a little bit about redeeming the time, and really, Paul kind of gives us some parameters for our thanksgiving, and that I think are really important for us to hear and to see, and, uh, and so it kind of frameworks thanksgiving for us. And so, the first thing I want you to see is that the Apostle Paul encourages Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, for Christians to make the best use of their seasons or of their time, okay? And he says this in Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 and 16, he says, now look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as what, church? Wise, right? So as Christians, we're to walk in wisdom. Verse 16, making the best use of our time. Why? Because the days are evil. So the first thing the apostle tells us as I'm building this framework out for our Thanksgiving is that we're to look carefully. As Christians, we are to have an astute biblical worldview. We we are tethered to the word of God as truth, and we live in a world that, you know, certainly uh, we live in a a post Christian America. I think for me, the elections this week just kind of affirm that, man, we are moving away from the world that I grew up in and we live in a post Christian America. That doesn't necessarily do much to me in regards to change my worldview because King Jesus is sitting firmly on his throne and he's working all things together to his praise and glory. Uh, but man, we live in a post Christian culture. And so as we take in news and take in information from the culture around us as Christians, it must all be screened through a biblical worldview. We have to know our scriptures and screen and say, man, is what I'm hearing, is it true? Uh, So that, as Paul says, I'm looking carefully at the world around us. We don't just ingest and affirm everything that comes through the cultural media. Everybody with me on that, all right? I want to illustrate this. I had somebody send me a video uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I'd heard this, where our vice president was speaking at a Baptist minister's conference. And at this conference, our vice president was defending the right to murder a preborn baby, and in defending the right to murder a preborn child, she finished by quoting a verse out of 1 Corinthians. When she got done, the Baptist ministers began to applaud. And we need to be astute as Christians. Every one of those Baptist ministers that were applauding should be stripped of their titles immediately. They're applauding sin. We need to be astute enough to say the the church and the ministers and the pastors of our culture are to be the conscience of the culture. And when the ministers and the pastors are applauding sin, man, we have lost our way. I think of the prophets of the Old Testament where God says, they speak for me, but I did not put my words in their mouth. And when our vice president is quoting out of 1 Corinthians as if the Bible somehow defends the murder of the preborn, our vice president believes in a different God than the God of the Bible. So we need to be astute enough to be aware that every time that someone of leadership and power in our culture quotes from the Bible or says God, we have to be astute enough to know the God of the Bible to be able to go, well, that's a different God with which you're speaking about. You with me? Because Psalm 139 says, I want you to hear the language that God knits a baby in the womb of a mother. I want you to think about knitting. Knitting is artistic and careful and attentive when, when, a, when a baby is conceived, God is doing this miracle of life-giving. I'm not going to get into the biology of it, but if you know the biology, it, it's a miracle on earth, and God's involved in that, and every person is special, and there is no place for a human being to reach inside of the womb of a mother and suck out the life that God is knitting together. Amen? Now listen, thank you. Your dad works for Care so (laughs) no, maybe not. Some of you are going to write me or email me. It's already been posted on the Coastal Facebook that Sean's getting political. This is not political. This is spiritual. This is spiritual, and I'm not in any way trying to make a political stir. First of all, politicians are quoting Bible verses that are like they're getting spirit. They've made it spiritual. The government's its own religion at this point. All right, so I'm just trying to teach my sheep to go, man, we need to have a biblical worldview that when we hear and see our leaders speak this way, we have to know the Word of God. And Paul says, I want you to look carefully and understand the setting and the world in which you live in, let her be. And we're to walk in wisdom. Now, wisdom is appropriately applying the Word of God, Right. We have to know how to take the word of God and apply it to specific situations. And so, and sometimes, man, we like, maybe we don't know how to do that. And so James chapter one says, we're to pray and ask the Lord when we we need wisdom and, and apply it appropriately, right? We apply it in wisdom. Now, part of wisdom is seeing the bigger picture. There's a Uh, a little story in Matthew chapter 25 about the story of the 10 virgins that these are 10 young ladies that are looking to get married and they're waiting for their bridegroom. And so in Matthew chapter 25 verse one, Jesus says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So these are 10 ladies looking to find their bridegroom and be married and they go looking for them. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Okay, so let's stop there. So Jesus tells a story. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the kingdom of heaven, there's wise and there's foolish. Now, the rest of this story goes on to tell that the five that were wise prepared and planned ahead. So, in other words, they took extra oil with them in case their bridegroom was delayed, so that if in the middle of the night the bridegroom came, they would have light to find the bridegroom. The five that were foolish did not plan ahead. They did not have an extra oil. And so when the bridegroom came in the middle of the night, their lamps couldn't be lit. They looked to the five that had the extra oil, said, can we borrow some of your oil? And they said, well, we give you our oil. We won't have enough for ourselves. You need to go back to the market and buy your own oil. Of course, they had to go back. It was dated. They had to wait for the marketplace to open. By the time they came back, they missed the bridegroom. What's the point? What is the point Jesus is telling us between these two different uh, bridesmaids? what's the difference between wise and foolish? The wise plan ahead. Think about that. The wise plan ahead. And that has like all kinds of really practical implications. Does it not? Did you know it has practical financial implications? You should be growing your financial situation into such a place that every time your car breaks down, it's not a panic. And if you if you come to my office, you're like, Pastor Sean, like my car broke down, and, da, 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 and I start probing, and I say, well, tell me about what streaming services you have. And if you have every possible streaming service that's out there, but you haven't saved a little bit for when the car breaks down, you're living foolishly, Amen, parents, Amen, parents. Parents are like, yes. So it has financial implications. It has it has dating implications, right? Let me encourage you, singles. Like, I would make a, a, a in your mind, or maybe an actual list of the kind of spouse that you're looking for, the the godly characteristics that you would like, of a, in a, ladies and a guy that you'd like to marry, guys and a, girl, a woman you'd like to marry. Make a list and, and say, this is the kind of plan ahead. This is the kind of person I want to meet to marry. And 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 that way, when you fall in love and the emotions are involved, you've put some planning into this is the kind of person I think God would have me marry. And by the way, your likelihood of marrying a great spouse and finding a great spouse, it's far more likely you're going to meet that person on the mission field than in a bar. Amen? All right, I'm meddling a little bit. All right. Pastor Andrew did a great job two weeks ago of reminding us that there's going to come a day all of us are going to stand before God Almighty and we are going to have an account of everything. Every word we uttered, every minute we stewarded, of our time, talent, and treasure. And only a foolish person would know something that significant and that serious is coming and not plan for it. A wise person plans ahead. And as Christians, we know, well, I'm going to stand that day in the presence of God. I'm not going to stand there in my own works. I'm going to stand there clothed in the righteous, the works of Christ gifted to me by grace alone through faith alone as I've repented of my sin and I've received the gospel. And so Paul says we need to look carefully and we need to walk in wisdom. Why do we do that? Or how do we do that? Let her see by making the most of our time. He says, making the, the the actual word here is actually seasons. Recognize the season that you're in, right? So listen, if you're single, First Corinthians seven, the, the Apostle Paul says, actually, if you're single you can actually do more for the kingdom of God than if you're married. He says once you get married, you have a spouse that you have to take care of and biblically you should take care of them and and uh, we could talk about that and why why the, how the scriptures encourage us men and women to do that in our marriages, but if you're single, you actually have more time to focus on the Lord and once you get married, you, yes, you worship the Lord by taking care of your family and I was talking to some young people uh, this weekend, some of us hanging out with some of our young families at Coastal, you know and hanging out with a lot of babies and just like, I'm just, I, my wife and I reflect reflecting on that season of birth to about 14 or 15, like those were some of the busiest seasons of my life. It's like all hands on deck. And I can just tell you young parents, okay, you young moms and dads, all right, that season, during that season for me personally, I, I basically had time for two things. I worked hard for the church, and I came home and I parented hard, and I went to bed tired, all right? There was There was no hobbies in my life. I'm not saying I never snuck out and played around a golf or something, but man, there was not something that consumed my time on a weekend and week out basis. It was that because that's the season I was in. And God had called me like, you make disciples at home. And and that was the season. And guess what? Now I'm coming out of that season, right? We're heading towards empty nest. And that's a different season. Some of you are in that season. And, and now that you're coming out of that season, you need to look around and go, what does God have me to do to expand the glory and the gospel of Christ? And some of you are getting, or maybe you're there, you're retired. And, and, and I'm thrilled for you if that's where you are. But God has not called us to retire from the kingdom. I'm going to tell you, something. I'm not going to mention their names this morning, but like there's some people at Coastal that are retired and they come and they serve so much here. And as the senior pastor of church, they're my favorite people. You want to know why? I call them free staff. They're staff that don't cost anything, right? And they're the best. Because they're like, man, I've got time now, and I can use some of my talents to serve the Lord in a more capacity to exalt the gospel. We need to be, the word redeeming, Paul says, it's a a financial term. It's a a transactional term that we are to redeem the time. And so let me ask you something, right? And this is where my opening illustration with the blocks. Like, uh, you know, when I talk about... uh, Uh, um, um, looking carefully at the culture and understanding the culture, right? And every time we hear a leader, a a political leader, quote the scriptures, we should know, every time they mention God, we should know if what they're talking about is the God of the Bible. We need to redeem the time. I challenge us as a church this year to read through the scriptures this year. 15 minutes a day, you can read through the scriptures. Now, listen, I, I I don't know where you are with that, but like, can I just say this if 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 Fox News or CNN News got more of your time this week, as you're waiting for the big vote dump, oh man, there's a big one coming in at ten o'clock. It's gonna change my life. If that got more time than your scripture reading, you're out of balance. If you're not regularly reading through the scriptures and you call yourself a Christian, it's laziness. We need to redeem the time. We need to be reading weighty theological books that enhance our understanding of the scriptures and the God that we worship. Did you know that the elders and the deacons of this church, when you go through our leadership process, we hand you a 1,600-page systematic theology? How many of y'all read that thing? How many, when you first saw it, were like, you have got to be kidding me, all right? Uh, how many, Paul, how many of you, when you got done, at the end of each chapter, it's actually a hymn. How many of y'all sing the hymn when you're done? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But you're like, that's redeeming the time. We should be thoughtful people in redeeming the time. How many of you attend Coastal, hear me talk about our discipleship process of connect, grow, serve, but you've never sat up and said, you know what, I'm going to sign up to serve. We ask you to attend a service and find a place to serve at least once a month. So once a mother's saying, could you give on a Sunday, could you give two or three hours to making the gospel go forward at the local church where you're a part? If you're not, and this is your church, it's laziness for about, I know there's extenuating circumstances for most of us. It's just, we're not redeeming the time. You're not too busy. Listen, could you be enhancing your career? Do you go to work and say, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna work as unto the Lord and I'm gonna work at my place of employment as if I own the company to make it better and make it successful so that your career path grows. By the way, you see this in the Old Testament when the God begins to punish the nation of Israel and they get deported into slavery. It's amazing how the people of God that redeem the time rise up in leadership. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in leadership in no time in a foreign country. Why? Because they've redeemed the time. Christians should be, so as we go into a post-Christian culture, I know some of us are fretting in the workplace, but here's the deal. If you're the best employee, your pro- employer is probably going to go, you believe some weird stuff, like a dead guy comes back to life, but your sales numbers are off the charts. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> like, we should be redeeming the time and being the best. We, we should be spending time with our family, serving in our church, in redeeming the time. Why? Why do we redeem the time, letter D? Because this is not peacetime. This is not peacetime. What does the apostle Paul say? We're redeeming the time for the days are what? They're evil, right? See, here's what we've done in the American church. The American dream has diluted the American church into thinking we're at peacetime. The American dream has diluted the American church to having us thinking this is peacetime and the goal of life is to get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. We are at war until Christ returns and sets it all straight. Everybody with me? And the weapons of our warfare are not like the weapons of the world. The weapons of our warfare are things like the fruit of the spirit and prayer and the armor of God, which is like the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness and the... The gospel of peace, and it's it's the, the weapons of our warfare are truth, humility, service, unity, self-sacrifice. We are to serve the Lord and redeem the time and go to bed tired because the days are evil. God has called you, you ready for this? To work really, really hard for 70 to 90 years. And then, and we say this at a funeral, then you rest in what? He rest in peace until Christ returns and he establishes his visible kingdom. And then it's going to be awesome forever and ever and ever. We have got to, we've got to start reminding our hearts and minds. This is not peacetime. We are to redeem the time, walking in wisdom and being clear-minded about the world that we live in. Number two, therefore, this is what the life of a Christian should look like. Therefore, this is what a life of a Christian should look like. Check this out. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17. Paul says, therefore, since we have all this worldview in place, we're walking in wisdom, we're redeeming the time, understanding the world we live in. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a little bit of overlap here with what I just said, but foolishness is doing the opposite of the will of the Lord. If the word of God has commanded it and you do the opposite, that is biblical foolishness. We are to know the will of the Lord. If we're gonna know the will of the Lord, we need to know the word of the Lord, right? Now let me give you a couple of verses. I'm not gonna put them on the screen, I'm just gonna summarize them, where the scripture specifically says this is the will of the Lord, because a lot of times we're like, man, what's the will of God? And we think jobs or spouses or those kind of things. But God gives us principles. First of all, to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, John chapter 60, verse 40, is the will of God. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Here's the message of the Bible, okay? You're a sinner. You deserve the wrath and punishment of a holy and just God. But God in his patience and forbearance sent his very best gift, his one and only son who took on flesh. He died a substitutionary death where God poured out his hatred and wrath on sin on Jesus instead of you. He bodily rose from the grave, conquering the consequence of sin. And when we repent of sin and believe in Jesus, we have accepted God's rescue plan. And God is being patient for you even right now waiting for you to repent of sin and receive his rescue plan, which is Jesus Christ, okay? that That's the will of God for you. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus taught, once you receive the kingdom of God, Jesus in your heart, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6 says, and guess what? Everything else will be added unto you, right? The Lord will take it, he will show you the rest of the way. So what does that mean? It means everything else will be added unto you, all right? He's got it. The will of the Lord is that you're not conformed by the things of the world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're growing in the knowledge of the word of God and being transformed. Number three, three, the will of God is to abstain from sexual sin and grow in holiness and righteousness. That's 1 Thessalonians 4. Abstain from sexual sin. By the way, I tell young people this all the time. If you are dating someone and you're thinking and I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to seek the will of the Lord to see if this person's the person I should marry. And you're already having sex with them before marriage. You're already out of God's will. So, how are you going to know if this person is God's will for you? And so, what I always coach those folks is hey, why don't you break up for a season? If this is the person you're supposed to marry, God's going to bring you back around. God's going to make it happen, right? But he's going to make it happen in holiness and righteousness. The will of the Lord is for you to abstain from sexual sin. The will of the Lord is for you to give thanks, which we'll see in a minute. The will of the Lord in Ephesians 5.18 here, ready? This is what Paul goes on to say. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Part of walking in wisdom and not being foolish is, letter C, to not get drunk with wine. I love what, what the apostle says here. He says it will ruin your life let me say that one more time. It will ruin your life. Now, the Bible does not teach that you can never have a sip of alcohol. Okay? I, I would not be, I'd be being dishonest with the scriptures to tell you otherwise. But the Bible is very, very clear that alcohol comes with a stern warning There are times I wish my office walls could talk, because myself and probably every other pastor on this staff has sat in an office and tried to help a family pick up the pieces around drunkenness, from affairs to abuse to the loss of life. I think as we grow in maturity, we should count the cost. Like, hey, is this worth it to me? Is it worth it? Again, the Bible doesn't say you should never drink. I'm just saying it gives some stern cautions, particularly around overindulgence. And and by the way, I, I think there's actually a broader idea here is that Paul is teaching that a fool allows substances other than the Holy Spirit to control them. So there, there's plenty of application here to marijuana. Everybody with me? I know what some of you say. It's legal now. If the government's your moral guide, you're already in trouble. Okay, so that is not where we're going to stand before God and say, "Man, well, the law was on the books, God, uh, not my book." If if you need to go home, and by the way, this goes to prescription medication too. That's being abused. If you go home and you need something to take the edge off, what you're saying is I need to be controlled by something other than the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the community of God. Everybody with me on that? And so if that's you, if that's what's going through your mind as you go home, I want to encourage you, like you, you have something controlling you that's not the Spirit of God and you need to get help. Now, here's the great news, okay? I'm not here to condemn you. We have help for you, okay? We have a whole class. We have trained counselors. We want to help you. We want you to be free from anything that's got control of you because we want you to be controlled by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, okay? And so letter D, Paul says, we're not fools get drunk, but mature people, wise people, are filled with the Spirit. And the idea here is to be being kept filled right so when we become a christian the bible is very clear we're indwelt we're baptized and we're sealed with the spirit of god but there is a process that's continual in our spiritual life and disciplines where we're being kept filled it's it's we're in the word on a regular basis so that i can be kept being filled by the holy spirit it's 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 prayer on a regular basis in fact, Paul says we pray without ceasing so that I'm being kept filled by the Spirit. It's At Coastal, we offer you three things in our discipleship process so that you can be kept filled in the Holy Spirit, right? It's what? What are the three things we say? We want you to be a part of this. We want you to connect, corporate worship, grow by being in a small group, and serve. And I, and I can just tell you like, what a lot of us do, not, and not all of us, but what a lot of us do is we do connect and we stop there. And so then someone ends up in my office and they're like, Pastor oh, Sean, I'm so whatever, and I need this, and I'm depressed, or whatever. And I'll say, Tell me what small group you're in. Why do I ask that question? Wow, well, small group, I'm depressed, you know, or whatever. Because that's part of the being kept filled. It's being filled, it's being surrounded by other believers so that when we grow discouraged, they know you're discouraged and they're praying for you and they're texting you throughout the week and they're encouraging you. How's it going? That's all part of the being kept filled by the Spirit of God. You with me? And by the way, serving. Listen, some of y'all need, to, I'm going to tell you something. Every time I've done food pantry or food distribution Saturday, when I'm pushing the card out with someone, Right. And I'm I come up here with woe is me. And usually I'm like, I don't really want to be here. I can't believe I'm doing this today. And I get up here and I'm pushing the cart out with someone. And I when I do it, I always take them out. And as I'm putting the food in their car, I say, How can I pray for you? And then we get to I begin to pray with them. And um suddenly as you're giving away of yourself, your, your problems seem to shrink a little bit. Everybody, Anybody ever experienced that, right? As you're ministering children here at Coastal, you're doing a small group, suddenly you, you begin to, to love on others and you're being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. And then number three, point three here this morning, the overflow of being filled with the Spirit, Paul says, is in verse five through 19. It's addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And here's the thanksgiving verse. And giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So the first thing I want you to see is the overflow being filled with the Spirit is actually song. Singing. He says to dress each other always. Now, I don't think he's talking about a musical. I don't think like when you leave your day, you go outside like, hey, how are you doing today? You know, I don't think, aren't you glad I don't have a microphone during corporate worship? I mean, how about these two girls this morning? I'm like, it's so effortless. Like, why don't you strain when you sing? You know, it's amazing to me. No, we're not. It's, I don't think that's what it says. I think that, so here's what I want you to see. God invented music. I don't know if you ever thought about that. God's the one that made up music. Do you know what secular music does? Secular music is a cheap knockoff. Secular music takes something that God invented like sex, God made it, It's good, it's got its appropriate confines within the bonds of marriage between one man and one woman in a a committed relationship for a lifetime. And secular music takes that beautiful thing that God made and it twists it and sings about it and makes it the pinnacle of what we're singing about. Do you ever think about why like a gross perverted song leaves you feeling kind of empty and gross at the end? Because it's taking what God invented and making it into a cheap knockoff. I don't know if you ever see this, my wife, my my older boy, and my daughter, I think, I think they're the last three people that are still watching American Idol. So, uh, and so they, it's down to that many, and I don't know if you ever see this, but like whenever they interview the people that are singing, and they say, they'll ask, where did you start singing? I mean, 95% of the time, what's the answer? Why is that? Because God invented music, right? And when you come in here and you're prepared to sing and your heart is full and you look at all the things God has done for you that week or how God's moved, you've been in the Word, you've been dis- disciplined, you've redeemed the time, maybe you even had a rough week, but you saw God show up and at least sustain or provide. And you show up with other believers, you start singing, doesn't it do something to your soul? How many of you, don't answer this, but how many of you, like, you get done singing, they're like, why has he got to get up there and preach? Like, why can't we just keep singing, right? And don't answer that, all right? And I think you guys do this really, really well. Like, I'm really, really grateful. I think you guys come in and you're ready, but it's also a challenge. Like, man, so this overflow of walking in wisdom and being kept filled with the Spirit and not getting drunk with wine. The overflow of all of that is that we come in and we're, we're addressing one another with melody. Like there's a joy to a Christian that expresses itself in song. And then finally, we'll wrap this up. Here we go. Letter B. And we give thanks always for everything. We give thanks to the Lord always for everything. Now, this verse wouldn't give me any heartburn had Paul stopped with just give thanks. But he adds two really important words here. Give thanks always and for what? Everything. Everything. You're not going to be able to give thanks always for everything unless you have a really solid theological framework that's gospel-centric with an eternal perspective. You guys with me on that? You, You don't give thanks... This time of year, if you've buried a loved one recently, unless you have a different worldview, unless you've adopted a different perspective, unless you have a gospel-centric, eternal worldview. If you don't have that, you watch the commercials this time of year with the parties and the families and the celebrations, and you go, man, I, I don't get to enjoy all that this year. You don't give thanks when suffering difficulties unless you have a worldview that the gospel of Jesus says we are winning and we will win. You don't give thanks always unless you have a worldview that says God is sovereign and what I'm going through is not a surprise to him. You don't give thanks always and for everything unless the worldview is a worldview that says God means what he says when he says he is indeed working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You will not give thanks always for everything unless you're a Christian and you've adopted a gospel worldview. And your heart and mind has been captured by the kingdom of God and by an eternal perspective that says one day, God is gonna unfold the tapestry of his glory in eternity future. And my little piece of suffering is a part of that tapestry that he's weaving together to bring glory and praise to him. So even what I'm going through right now, I can say, you know what, God, I know you're doing something. I don't see it, I don't feel it, but I know that you're working all things together because there's gonna be an eternity future that I'm hoping in, that I'm believing in, because Jesus rose from the dead, and he said it's so, and therefore it's so, and therefore I know that even the mess I'm going through right now has something that's going to be amazing. Amen? Imagine Joseph. I, I love the story of Joseph. He's in his teen years, and he's annoying, right? Somewhere between 13 and 15 probably. I mean, that's the age We all want to sell our siblings, right? And so, and his brothers sold him to another country. I mean, imagine that, going to a strange country. You don't even speak the language. But even young Joseph, man, he adopted a different worldview. He was redeeming the time. He was good at his work. He honored the Lord in Potiphar's house. He began to raise up an authority and power until Potiphar's wife accused him of a sexual crime that he didn't commit. He got sent to prison, the low. I mean, imagine being in a foreigner in Egypt in thousands of years ago. How horrible that prison must have been. He's the lowest of the low, but he continues to understand. There's a God in charge, and He's sovereign. He hasn't forgotten me, and I'm going to redeem the time, and I'm going to be the best prisoner I can be. And he rises up in, in, in authority in the prison. And then God's incredible hand and circumstances, God has him intermingle with some guys that worked for Pharaoh, the president of the greatest country in the world, essentially. And and eventually Pharaoh calls for Joseph to interpret a dream, and Joseph gives him an interpretation and a plan to what to do with the dream that he gave him. And Pharaoh's like, you seem like a smart guy, why don't you be second in charge? And he becomes second in charge of the most powerful country on the planet. And one day his brothers who sold him into slavery don't even know it's him. They show up because there's a famine. Listen, I'm talking famine. Like I know, I get it. We're all we're all paying 15% more for our groceries, and you know, the bag of chips, it only actually has this many chips in it. You know, we're doing that. Like, what's going on? And, and like, that's happening. But this was famine. Like, there was no food. I mean, what was God doing? A famine. And Joseph's brothers end up in Egypt. You want to know what God was doing? God was protecting a promise that he had made to Abraham that through you, Abraham, and the children of Israel is going to be the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. But your family is going to die up in Israel during the famine. So I'm going to put you in safety inside the most powerful country on the planet, Egypt. Your brother's going to be in, Joseph's going to be in charge. You guys are going to have plenty as you incubate into a large nation inside of Egypt. And so Joseph, when he finally reveals himself, the brothers who are now adults with families that have children. Jo- Joseph's days when they sold him are probably like, we are dead men. And Joseph in Genesis 5, 50 verse 20 says something very important. He says, you meant it for evil. What, but God, what does it say? Anybody? God meant this for what? He meant it for good. God is in charge, and you do not give thanks to God always for everything, unless you have that worldview, that God in Christ is doing something amazing. And so here's how we're going to close this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want you to bow your head, and I want to close your eyes. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer, okay? Nobody looking around. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of a time in the past that was really difficult, a difficult circumstance, and and God showed up and provided for you. God sustained you. And I want you to thank God for that. Father, we all have those times. Maybe we were out of money and You provided in a way that didn't make any sense. We were were suffering, God, and you just showed up with your spirit and the word and helped us endure and persevere. Or maybe we lost someone and the church body surrounded us. You provided the church body to provide for us, God. We've all seen you work, and we thank you for that. And now, church, I want you to think about something that you're going through right now that's difficult. And I want you to remind yourself that the same God that helped or delivered you in the past is the same God that you're worshiping today. And so I I want you to thank Him for that difficulty that you're going through. And Why can you do that? Because the same God that helped you in the past is the same God today, and He's the same God forever. And you can trust that He indeed is working all things together for good. And so, God, all of us in this room, like, life's not perfect, God. We're all dealing with something maybe a broken relationship. It's the loss of a loved one, maybe a financial hardship, God. Maybe a maybe a dream we had that's not working out quite the way we had hoped, God. Maybe there's something wrong with our stuff. We have a broken car or the house is falling apart around us, God. God, we thank you for it because, it one, it makes us depend on you. It reminds us you're God and we're not, God. We can't... We, We're needy and we depend and we depend on you. And God, we know that just like Joseph at the lowest point in the prison cell, you were working things together to display your glory in the timing and in the way that you want to. And so God, even in the midst of hardship, we can thank you always and for everything. Because you, O God, are working all things together, the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And since I believe in Jesus and we believe in Jesus, the book of Romans tells us we're going to share in all the blessings of Jesus. It just may be not yet. And it makes us long for the day that our faith becomes sight. And So we thank you always and for everything. And it's in Jesus' name I pray amen we're gonna go out singing praise the lord this morning if you need prayer our prayer team is up here under the screens man we would love to pray with you and as we sing i want to remind you that this god the same god of yesterday is the god of today and we will trust in him and him alone and in trusting in him we will not be shaken let's stand and sing together